I'm your number one fan. There is nothing to worry about. You're gonna be just fine. I'll take good care of you. I'm your number one fan. Hey, yo, what's going on, friends? Welcome back to another thrilling edition, episode 25. That's a big number. It's Sean the Butcher here with Vertebrae 33. How's it going? Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? I'm Annie, your you number okay? one fan. <laughs> that How was going to be Sean? my hit. How you doing? I'm good. I that my hint was going to be I'm your number one fan on our previous point five episode with Miss Cherry Delight. Thank you to Miss Cherry Delight for being on Ada Madness Pod with us. I was going to do I'm your number one fan, but I figured that was too much of a dead giveaway. So I figured Sledgehammer was a good one. Honestly, what your hint when you gave it didn't process with me until I listened back to it again, and uh -huh. you said it loves company, and I was like, "Oh, very good, very good." <laughs> and now we got to add the uh, Alien Ant Farm version of Smooth Criminal to our, uh, our playlist, right? <laughs> if that's what you would like, yes, yeah. we can add that to our in. Yeah, gotta have playlist. it, Annie. Are you okay? Are yes. You okay? okay. So before we get into our movie, if you haven't figured it out already, since we haven't said the title yet, uh, make sure you follow us on the socials at In Madness Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Threads. Hit us in the mail sack. We want your emails in madnesspod at gmail.com there are a couple in there as of now and i want to dip in there and read them because those are always some of the most fun episodes but i want the sack to be engorged a little bit before we release it onto the world make sure you subscribe to the youtube give us the five star review smash that like button subscribe to as vertebrae mentioned the in madness spotify playlist the only place where you will now hear Alien, Ant Farm, Dillinger, Escape Plan, and uh, what is it? The Ronettes from our bar Barbarian episode. Nothing, nothing's going to beat the In Madness Spotify playlist. Happy In Madness Monday. If you're listening to this episode when it premieres, a new episode every Monday because your boy Sean the Butcher and Vertebrae 33 love dropping fresh content for you to enjoy on a Monday, the worst day of the week. But it's like, oh, Oh, there's a brand new episode and immediately something cool to look forward to. Tell your friends, spread the madness. That's the only way we're going to grow this family. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And now uh, we decided on the last episode, send us your voice notes to inmadnesspod at gmail.com. And uh, I don't know, talk to us through your voice notes and ask us a question or do whatever the hell you want. But, uh, yell at yell at us tell us there's so much shite in the beginning of our episodes <laughs> we're never gonna let that go <laughs> vertebrae no. do you have the vinyl to this movie we are doing for episode 25 of in madness pod i i don't but before we do that for the youtube people i gotta say this today's mug Thirty. what is that it's a, a little... bernie wrightson uh mug so oh. i got a bernie wrightson mug Wait, it's on. glaring pick it up a little bit more so i can see oh, it check us out on the youtube get closer get closer to the camera yeah there it goes oh there it goes that's cool what is that is that swamp thing yeah i mean it says they it's swamp thing but they list it as like swamp creature because i think he drew it separate from his dc contract so he gotcha. couldn't call it swamp gotcha. thing you but, love uh, swamp thing i love swamp thing bernie writes in i gotta post more stuff with comic stuff i got some goodies maybe i'll show something on the um when we do a point five next time so we'll give people it. a reason 
to tune tune in on YouTube as well. But uh, all right, episode twenty five, right, Sean? Am I correct? Twenty five. So I'm trying yeah. to keep. Con- yeah, I'm yeah. trying to keep. Yeah, yeah. All the point fives and point threes and all this get me confused. Uh, we're doing misery. I feel like we should have a sound effect after that. I don't know what the sound effect would be. Uh, typing. Yeah, it could be typing. Yeah, <laughs> it's swinging of a sledgehammer. Uh, released November 30th, 1990, based off a Stephen King novel from 1987. So this is our second movie we're doing based off of something Stephen King wrote. Uh, Check out I'm, our missed episode. Uh, one Fantastic. of my favorite in madness episodes. I don't know what number it is, but it's it's in there somewhere if you look. Yeah, and and I said this I think last time with the mist, and I listened to the audiobook for Misery, so I'll go through a few of the changes. So there'll be spoilers for this movie from 1990 and spoilers for this novel from 1987. So catch up if you can. But that Stephen King really knows how to write a book. That is not a shock to anybody, but uh what a fantastic story this is um it was directed by rob reiner and he was known in his career early on as meathead from all in the family and he was on there from 71 to 79 he also directed spinal tap the princess bride when harry met sally stand by me a few good men very talented iconic movies yeah absolutely and i think it, a few of those i feel like spinal tap should end up uh, we should end up doing that. we the second you said it i felt like we should immediately yes we should do spinal tap so i don't I have this 40th anniversary or something this year oh okay oh maybe maybe right Sorry, in tell us if you want us to talk about spinal oh tap. we're doing it we have to it's one of the greatest one of my favorite movies ever let's do it the misery score, which I don't have on vinyl, I could. And when I looked it up to see if it existed, I couldn't find it. So I don't think it exists. I only found like CDs of it. Uh, Mark Shaman, who or Shaman, I guess, worked on a ton of film scores. Uh, he was on A Few Good Men, Sleepless in Seattle. Funny enough, he was also on the South Park movie um, in the Team America films as well. So Brilliant. pretty funny. Cast of this is James Kahn as Paul Sheldon, who, you know, when you first start watching, you're just like, hey, that's Sonny from The Godfather. Kathy Bates in her, this would be her, not her debut in film, but this is her first major role on, on film as Annie Wilkes. There's some amazing character actors and famous actors in this as well. Richard Farnsworth as Sheriff Buster, Francis Sternhagen is Deputy Virginia. Lauren Bacall, which is a, a huge actress that they got, or actor, to play Marsha Sindel and Graham Jarvis as Libby. And you can tell right off the bat, Sean, that Rob Reiner was in, heavily influenced by Alfred Hitchcock with this movie. Tension, I will we'll get to it. Yeah, the tension in this movie. And he says that he studied all his films extensively in preparation for this. And then just so. They, they buy the rights to this book. The Rob Reiner agrees to direct it. And then they've got to cast this film. And their first and only choice for Annie was Kathy Bates. She was already a very prolific uh, actor on Broadway. And they want they wanted her and needed her in that role. And she does an incredible job and, and got an Academy Award for, for her role. 
for the for the other role in Paul Sheldon, however, James Kahn was not their first choice. And in fact, he was way down the line of choices. So I'm going to give you the list of actors that were up for this as well. Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Richard Dreyfus, Gene Hackman, Warren Beatty, Robert Redford, and William Hurt, who said no twice. And then they asked James Conn. And then they asked <laughs> Wow. Poor James Conn. But he does a great job, an incredible job. And it's the book is a lot more of just these two characters. The movie, when we get rolling on it, there's certain parts that are different and they weave in this other storyline to, to flesh it out. But in some parts, the book is way more intense than the film. And that's pretty wild to say because this movie is tense right right from the start almost immediately so um and there's some references to other stephen king books in this as well and we'll get into all our gnarly bits as we go along do you remember the first time you saw this movie it wasn't that long ago honestly Mm -hmm. uh it was probably a couple of years ago when everyone's like you gotta see misery you gotta see misery and i always heard about it and i always knew about it but i never read the book and i never saw the movie it was just another one of those like iconic movies that i hadn't grazed over uh and finally when i did i was like oh damn this is a really really good movie it's not one that i watch on repeat like i do killer clowns or like i do halloween or like i do the thing but it is a very very good like horror thriller psycho like uh uh, mental health illness like it 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 hits a lot of stuff and it's it's a very classic film that uh that i'm glad we're doing for in madness yeah and and this film comes out and it's a huge success this is leading in November 30th. That's after Thanksgiving and we're leading into Christmas time. And this is a huge hit for everybody. And, you know, as we're going through the film for the, you know, going through this film for the podcast, we have snow on the ground and ice and there's all the snow on the ground and the ice. I love when that connects up and kind of gives you that same feeling. I, I saw this movie in the theater. Hey, so, cool. Hey, and I was really uncomfortable and the one scene everybody was really uncomfortable and there was lots of people you know sort of hunkering down behind their popcorn buckets and stuff when that was going on and moving on and the book gets a little more gnarly than that and when you see the film you know why they changed it and why this film became such a huge success because if they left some of the other stuff in or did it the same way as the book i don't think that's going to play out to the mass audiences and Honestly, I don't think we needed it because this interpretation of it is so intense throughout the entire film and you're just nervous while you're watching it. And it's and they do such a great job with weaving some other stories into it and sort of the the book spends most of its time with just the two of them. And it's not till towards the end of the book that anyone kind of else shows up. So you get more of a claustrophobic feel i think from the book but in a movie you've got to kind of give people a little respite from that intensity and i think they do a really incredible job but yeah, i was excited to do this i was bummed though sean 
this was on some streaming service, then it wasn't on some streaming service, and then I, I'm like, well, I always buy, I'll buy the 4Ks. I try to buy them for the movies that we do, and I go to buy the 4K, and it's like $29, and I was like, that's a lot for that 4K, and then so I broke down and bought the digital copy, which I hate doing because they could just take it away from you at any time, just so I could get some of the extras because there's like a making of documentary, and then the making of documentary turned out to be just kind of like a bunch of fluff. So I was like, well, that was a mistake. Although the Rob Reiner um, director's commentary was pretty fantastic. So that was that was kind of worth it. But I, I could swear this was just on a streaming service. Uh, so uh, I, I was going to say it's been it's been on streaming forever. And of course, we go to do this movie uh, gone, completely gone. So <laughs> I, I rented it from my local library. Shout out to your local library. If you haven't been to yours lately, you should definitely pay it a trip. Uh, libraries rule. They rent out a lot of cool stuff in case you did not know. Uh and uh, it's a great source to catch up on movies that we've done and not have to pay for them. Just go to your library and rent it from your library. So shout outs to Reddit for recommending going to the library because when I was like, where do I stream <laughs> misery in Google? It brought me to Reddit articles and people like, where do I get misery? And, and someone was like, check your local library. And I was like, oh, Reddit brilliant and i went and it was there and like fucking i, I watched misery from the library and now I, I have to bring it back uh tomorrow it's due or oh no Sean's i have to pay a late, late charge sean's gonna get a late fee i'll charge gonna... it to the in madness account yeah the librarian's gonna gonna yell at you for that two one. bucks we're bankrupt we're shutting down the podcast <laughs> are you ready are you ready to go with misery i'm ready i just want to before we begin one more thing is that stephen king talks about this and he had issues with substance abuse and he says that Annie Wilkes was a metaphor for drugs for him. And he said that Annie was my drug problem and she was my number one fan. God, she never wanted to leave. Mm. So we, we're going to get it. That part I didn't know. We're certainly going to get into being creative and being stuck in whatever you're known for. And that's a big part mm. of this. Rob Reiner mentions it, having played a character on All in the Family and then trying to become a, a director and having nobody take him seriously. Or, and our, our younger listeners won't realize this now because TV is absolutely incredible. But there was at one time where TV, there was a stigmatism attached to it that if you were on TV, there was no way you were going to make that jump to film. You were a TV actor and then there were film actors and very few people could do it. So if you try to play that character in all the family and then you want to be a, a director of film, you know, it was a struggle for him. So he really related to our character, Paul, who's sort of stuck in this world of misery that he just wants to get out of. And he gets dragged back in. But yeah, I'm ready. That's not too much shite. I think we're good. Let's go. The movie opens. We hear typing feverishly away on a typewriter. We see a match, cigarette, empty wine glass, a bottle of wine on ice. Writer's typing without it. What else is there? Tears the paper out. We see it's our main character, Paul Sheldon. He stares at the paper, seems unsure. Then at the bottom in pencil writes, the end. He evens out his stack of papers on his desk. We see on the front cover says, untitled by Paul Sheldon. In the book, that's called um, Fast Cars. So it has a, that book has a name that he's working on, and it's a completely different story. And he goes in a different direction. This they just kind of kept it untitled, but um, but it has a title in the book. He he uh, puts the paper in his uh, sack, his satchel. He pops the wine, he fills the glass, he lights the match with his finger, and smokes the cigarette. He seems relieved, but also unhappy. 
we cut to him out in the snow, putting his bag with his papers in the car. He chucks a snowball, the tree hits it head on. He goes, still got it. <laughs> cut to him driving down a snowy road, kind of like The Shining. And we get this funky music. And on the screen in red, we get our title, Misery. And what a bad choice of a vehicle for snow in Colorado. He's driving a, it's, I don't know what year it is, 65 Mustang? It's a Mustang in the snow in Colorado. But we soon find out that he is very routinized in how he's writing. He's got the old satchel with that he keeps the manuscript in. He's only going to have one copy. He has to go to the same hotel. So he probably had some success when he did this trip and drove that car. And, and, and so now from then on, it has to be that car, but ju- that's a bad vehicle choice for Colorado snow. He's driving down this twisting, turning highway. It begins snowing badly. The car begins swerving. He grabs his bag with his papers in it close to him. The car skids and flies off a goddamn hill. And that song that's playing when he crashes is Shotgun by Junior Walker and the All-Stars. So that's the name of the song. And in this crash scene, they used nine different cameras for these crash shots. So some were remote-controlled cameras in the snow, so probably a few of them didn't even work correctly, but they just set a bunch up to kind of get this correct. The car ends up upside down, pretty much crushed like a can. We cut to Paul, I'm assuming, a little while earlier. He's in a big office building talking to uh, his agent, Miss Sindel. She's complimenting his bag. He carries his papers in. He calls it his old friend. He found it in a closet. When he wrote his first book, he used to carry the bag, carry it with him until he found a publisher. I was a writer then, he says. She goes, you're still a writer. He says, I haven't been since I got in the misery business. Mm. She says it's a good business. Uh, she keep growing. First printing called Misery's Child sold over a million. He went platinum with his first book or with that edition of his book. Paul mm. doesn't want to hear it. The lady tells him uh, the book paid for his daughter's braces, putting her through college. You have two houses, floor seats to the Knicks. Uh, and go ahead and kill the character in your book. And this and this character, the Lauren Bacall character and all of this is not in the novel. So in the original novel, this is all, this is all added in. Um, I, the the books he writes, these misery books, are kind of like whether you like Harle- Harlequin romance novel type things, sappy, yeah, sappy, yeah, romance, yeah. So the the misery books are misery's quest, misery's search, misery's challenge, misery's trial, misery's triumph, misery's dilemma, misery's love. And Misery's Child. There's more than seven books there. Just checking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> could you imagine that's seven books? <laughs> yeah. Is it? No, it's more than that. Uh, yeah, it is. I guess, could you imagine if it was? Yeah, yeah. 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 And then the one that he's going to be going to be writing. So he, he's definitely torn because he's made a ton of money. He lives an incredible lifestyle based off of these books. But he was probably done with these books like one or two books in and he wants to be you know a writer's writer and move and move on from it but that's you know have you had that sean you're you're super successful or you feel like you're trapped in your whoa wait since when was since when am i super successful am i trapped in my role no i don't think so i don't feel trapped in my role i feel like i'm very fortunate enough to fall into a role that just happens to be something that like i'm very passionate about 
but I don't feel trapped in it in, right. in, in any way. Uh, I and you like. don't because it's part and parcel to who you are uh, yeah. as a person. This it's not it's not a character. It feels like Paul here has put it on and he could write and he's probably writing on the side books that he really wants to people to care about, but he's got to do this to pay to pay the bills. Pay the bills to get out of it. Yeah, yeah. But it's so insanely successful. He never meant for this to become his life. If I don't kill her off now, I'd end up writing about her forever. He's leaving for Colorado to finish the book. He says, if I make this work, I might just have something I want on my tombstone. Cut back to the car, turned over in the snow, crushed inside the car. There's Paul. He's messed up. He's bleeding. He's disoriented. He's got his bag. He's holding it close. We see a crowbar pry the door open. Someone pulls him out. They begin doing CPR. They put the bag inside the coat. They grab the crowbar and Paul and walk off in the snow. Cut to Paul waking up groggy. We hear, I'm your number one fan. Don't mm. worry. You're going to be fine. And it's such a cool shot because we we get the IV bag and stuff is fading in and out. And then we just get this very clear picture of her. And they talk in the making of about kind of the different lenses and types of cameras they were using to have her just be leaning over us and be very oppressive. And you can never think of this character without thinking of Kathy Bates. They were one in the same in a lot of ways. And despite the fact that she was on the office for a little while, playing a completely different character, it, it's just, it's hard to separate the two. And they, that's an incredible job of casting. And right away, there's something creepy about it. Now, it's very hard to separate the title of this film. And if you watch the original trailer, it's absolutely the entire film absolutely entire film every they give away every single scene the big iconic scene everything gets given away in that trailer and we know it's a stephen king book but they still do a good job with us of making us uncomfortable but not giving it away right right away if that makes sense like we're building to it and we actually think there might be a little bit of bonding between the two of them going on it seems great until it doesn't yes she goes, I'm your number one fan. I'll take care of you. He looks over his eyes, focused. There she is, Kathy Bates and Wilkes, standing creepily over him. She smiles at him. He's beat up. She tells him, "Just out, you were just outside Silver Creek right now. You've been here for two days. She says her name. Paul says, my number one fan. She laughs. She says, yes. She's also a nurse. She gives him some pills. We see she's got him set up by himself in this room inside her house. He says, how come I'm on a hospital? Oh, the blizzard was too strong. The phone lines are down. He almost died out there. He asks if he'll be able to walk. She says yes, and his arm will be fine, but his shoulder was badly dislocated. It was stubborn, but she popped it back in. Mm. What I'm most proud of is the work I did on your legs with what I had around the house. I didn't think doctors who, uh, I don't think doctors could have done a better job. She removes the blanket and we see Paul's legs are messed up beaten, bruised, destroyed. She tells him it's not as bad as it looks. Uh, as soon as the road's open, she'll take him to a hospital. Uh, she's honored he is in her home. And those legs are like, they, they do something with some gelatin and some other uh, stuff to get to get them set. And they, they pan down them for a little bit and then they kind of cut away. And Rob Reiner says, it's just, you can't show too much of it to kind of have it fall apart. But I also think they're playing to the mass audiences and they obviously want this film to be a hit 
I feel like if somebody else there's I think there's a rumor they might somebody else is doing a take of this uh book oh, I think. No. Yeah, I I thought I read something like that but I don't think you need to lean into that stuff because of the intensity that's already taking place. We'll have a furious point five of the misery. Oh God! Yeah, I let you off the leash again. It's a, it's Exorcist believer all over again. <laughs> we cut back to the office building with this agent, Miss Sendell. She's on the phone, worried, asking to speak to the Silver Creek Sheriff or Chief of Police. Turns out she's on the phone with both because it's one guy, a sweetheart named Buster. Sindel mm. tells him she's a literary agent. She's sorry to bother him. She thinks her client, Paul Sheldon, might be in trouble. Immediately, Buster knows him. You mean Paul Sheldon, the writer? Everyone sure loves them misery books. Mm-hmm. She tells him Paul goes there to finish his book. Sindel tells Buster she called the place Paul was staying at. They said he left Tuesday. His daughter hasn't heard from him. And with the new book coming out, he usually keeps in touch. Buster tells her not to worry. He's going to put this in his system, which ends up being quite like my system. Just post-it notes all over the place. And he sticks it on the <laughs> wall. And it says, Paul Sheldon. He says, if we hear anything, <laughs> we'll call you back. Uh, I was dying because I wrote in my notes. I was like... Sean and him have the same system here. His, got, his system is posted on the wall, just like yours. And that's kind of a fun little moment, which is a small town. But obviously, Paul Sheldon being there is a big deal. They know he comes there to write his books. They probably all leave him alone and let him do his things just so they can all talk about how he's there. And and it's and it's neat. And he's a fantastic character, right? Not in the book, but just gives us that very it's almost like Columbo in a lot of ways. Like he sort of acts like he doesn't know what he's doing, but he's really figuring everything out as he goes along. That's really cool. Very, very good uh, addition to this story. He says he's going to call her back and then hangs up. But then I notice he never took her phone number down. So how is he going to call her back? <laughs> Buster's wife says, we got a phone call. Busy morning. And Buster says, yep, work, work, work. When was that blizzard? She says, last Tuesday, Buster begins fidgeting with his little rubber band stretched in his fingers. We cut to Annie shaving Paul with a straight blade razor right on his damn throat. Oh, Sean, I, I, this, this scene, that makes me so uncomfortable. This is some fire in the sky torture shit right here. Ah, have you ever gone to a barber that will, has shaved you with a straight razor? I do, and I'm not so friggin' comfortable just talking and jerking my head around like Paul Sheldon is. I did it once, one time, and I hated it. And I must have stumbled upon like the last artiste in the world because it took forever. No, and he just kept kept doing it with the straight razor, and I was like, "This is really." I was just totally complete. I was. When he was like halfway done, I was like, whatever it is, I can go. It's fine. I'll take care of it when I get home. I didn't I didn't like it at all. We should write in in madthispod at gmail.com and tell us if you're okay with somebody else shaving you. Yeah, I didn't mind it. But casually, like it's nothing. He's just like, oh, it's a miracle you found me. Like, just wait till she's done to talk to her. Why do you have to talk when there's a straight razor on your throat? Right. Adds to the intensity. Yes. She's like, it wasn't a miracle. In a way, I was following you. Hmm. He looks Mm. at her oddly and says, following me? She says, I knew you were staying at the Silver Creek. It wasn't a big secret, seeing as how I'm your number one fan and all. Mm -hmm. She tells him sometimes she will park outside and look up at the light in his cabin and wonder what was going on with the world's greatest writer. And again, with the straight razor on his face, he jerks his head around and says, say that last part again. I didn't hear it. 
She says, stop <laughs> moving. I'm like, thank you, Annie. Somebody here has some Please. confidence. And you know when she says is in a way I'm following you around and this isn't in the book and this isn't in the movie but like I always wondered if if she if she had something to do with him crashing like if she kind of pushed the car off or or, or did something. the spike the, the cop spike or something you know and, and just had to it's funny you should say that the cop spike because there's something in the book way late in the book where police are investigating and people are getting wind of who she is at her house which is way different and she makes something like that for her driveway mm. like barbed wire and and chain so you're 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 on to something but yeah the other afternoon she was on her way home and there he was leaving the lodge oh what a coincidence and she was wondering where he was going with the big storm coming he says he didn't know there was a big storm she says he's lucky he's still alive and now you can write more books she tells him <laughs> she's read all the books she knows them all by heart all eight of them oh there's eight of them that was close that was close i love them so much he's brilliant uh, she says he's brilliant he asks how long till the phones work once the roads are open if you give me their numbers i'll call them for you she tells him she saw what was in his bag his new book she asked for permission to read it he grants her permission she's stoked paul's in pain she apologizes for making him feel all oogie <laughs> he leaves the room to get his med she asks him what the book is called he doesn't know she asks what it's about he said he doesn't know he's written <laughs> He's written Misery for so long, he tells her to read it and tell him what she thinks about it. Maybe you can come up with a title. She gives him a gee golly look and says, like, I can do that. <laughs> and this whole all oogie thing and the way she talks in the novel, it's funny because he's, you're getting his internal thoughts. She's like he, Miss Carmody. Yeah, very much. And he uses oogie in his internal thoughts as it the novel goes along he used uh, a couple up. times that's like yeah. that, what is that munchausen thing or whatever you start picking up the traits of your uh i don't know when you have your kidnapper or something when they actually start bonding or whatever oh yeah no munchausen's not that that's oh i don't sick, know sick this thing but yeah oh, i don't know yeah where you would be you're captive and you pick up sort of their yeah whatever like, it is that's more like sympathy for your your yeah cap, the yeah, captor, captive, yeah. But yeah but she he's yeah, and then that way he's kind of bonding. But it, yeah, in the novel, as it goes on, he uses Oogie a couple times in his own head as he's thinking about this. That's funny. Hilarious. We see Buster at the Silver Creek Lodge walking around with some old guy. I guess that's the owner telling Buster there's nothing unusual about Paul leaving. You can tell by the champagne. He always orders a bottle when he's ready to go. He pays and he leaves. Buster's asking about long distance calls or packages, anything out of the order ordinary. And the man tells him Mr. Sheldon doesn't like things out of the ordinary, considering he's famous and all. He drives the same old Mustang, always gets a guest, uh, always, always a good guest, never bothers anyone. Uh, I sure hope nothing happens to him. And Buster says, so do I. He thanks and the that, man and he leaves. And that guy, uh, Libby, who runs the lodge, is played by a television superstar in Graham Jarvis. He has had roles on. Here we go. You ready for this? Murder, she wrote. Naked City, Route 66, uh, NYPD, All in the Family, MASH, Mork and Mindy, Starsky and Hush, Heart to Heart, Cagney and Lacey. Mama's Family, Fame, Married with Children, Star Trek The Next Generation, The X-Files, ER, six, up to Six Feet Under. So he's been in a million things on TV. And he was in a couple famous scenes on um, a couple of these. So he plays with these big like kind of character actors. So now that you've seen him as Libby in here, you're going to start picking him up if you watch old television shows. 
We cut to Annie feeding Paul tomato soup. She tells him she's 40 pages into his new book, but she doesn't seem happy. Paul asks for her honest opinion. Uh, she says he's brilliant, but she's bothered by the book's profanity. It's about slum kids. He was a slum kid. Everybody talked like that. And now Annie gets pissed. They do not. You think I go to town and start yelling F this and F that? Uh-oh. <laughs> scary sounding string instruments begin to creep up in the background very hitchcock like Mm -hmm. because now paul clearly has a problem on his hands Mm -hmm. while annie gets upset she spills the tomato soup on the bed and screams at paul see what you made me do yes paul is silent staring at her she takes a moment and apologizes and she says she gets worked up she gets too worked up sometimes Mm -hmm. you know what annie I can relate. So don't worry. I too get worked up sometimes and start texting vertebrae in an absolute frenzied fit of emotion, wondering how the fuck millionth guy who eats pizza on TikTok gets 843 billion likes for his <laughs> second episode when there's literally thousands of other people who also eat pizza doing the exact same thing. It happens, Annie. Poor Annie. I understand. And and so this is a good segue to us, right? We're going to now go on TikTok and eat pizza for everybody. Is this what's happening? This is my right. second episode of me eating pizza on TikTok. 643,597 <laughs> likes on episode two. How on episode two? Anyway, Paul laughs this it off. Is, wait, so Sean, yeah. this is his, this is Paul's first inroads. He's realizing where, where he's at how dire this situation is and that he's now in an abusive relationship because she's getting mad at him spills the soup but he's the one who did it it's no different than somebody's in an abusive relationship and they break something out of anger and then they make the other person clean it up or fix it so and he's just trapped trapped in that bed and i'm sure his intelligent writer mind is probably spinning a lot of thoughts like he's losing it right now early on and in which way this could go but um where do you stand on tomato soup sean i i would rock it i you know what i never had tomato soup until i went to medieval times and i had it and i was like it's pretty good it's pretty good oh what what uh wait what night did you cheer for when you uh, I, I think time? i went twice i went on a trip in middle school and then i went once again like 15 years ago 20 years ago i th- i don't know i think one was the blue night for one of them and then one was like the red night uh i mm-hmm. can't remember i feel uh, like the best chant is black and white because you can chant black and white black and white like i think it's a good one <laughs> shout out to medieval times paul laughs off his problem he tells her it's fine she says i love you paul your mind your creativity that's all i meant embarrassed she walks out and paul seems a tad worried mm-hmm. we got the buster driving around the winding road his wife is driving him around in the sheriff's car she's rubbing his leg she wants to bang he moves her hand and says in this car you're my deputy Tells her to stop the truck. He spots a broken tree. He follows down a snowy hill, the same one the car drove off of, and Buster's ass drops waist deep into the snow. His wife asks if he needs help, and angrily he crawls out of the hole, and behind him we see a bit of the tire of the car covered in snow. Buster missed it. Mm -hmm. His wife asks if he thinks Paul is out there. He says if he is, he's dead. We see Buster walk into his car from another point of view. A car is driving towards him. Buster gets in his car and we see it's Annie driving right past him. Right past the spot where she saved or sabotaged 
Paul. She knows that right. he is on now and the cops are searching for him. And what an incredible shot. That's an incredible shot the way they shoot it down the road and we get the reveal of her driving by. Fantastic job. We cut back to Annie's house. She shows Paul that she bought a copy of Misery's Child. He says, so the roads are open? And she says, ah, only the ones to town. She mm. says she called the hospital and spoke to a surgeon. She told him about Paul and about what happened. And he said, as long as there's no infection, you're not in any danger. Once the road to the hospital is open, they'll send an ambulance. And he says, so the phones are working? And she hesitates and says, ah, well, mine's out, but not the one in, not the one in town. That one works. And she also, she he has to know he's been there so many times. Like he knows she's telling a lie. Where the store is in town, and there's no way one road. It's this probably the same. It's the same exact road. So that that's that's, yeah. He knows a lot going on already. She says she called his agent. She sits down uh, next to him with the book, going on and on about it. He's freaking out about not being in contact with his kid. She's just talking right over him, not paying any attention to what he's saying. He says his daughter's birthday is today. And he says the agent said she'll tell his daughter he's okay, but he has to wait till tomorrow if he wants to talk to her. She turns around and smiles lovingly at him and says, oh, Paul, what a poet you are. Walks out of the room and Paul looks pretty damn miserable. <laughs> we cut to Annie bringing him some food. Her specialty, scrambled eggs a la Wilkes. She's on page 75 in a new book. He hopes uh, that means it's okay. She says, no, it's oh, poo. I can't think of any words. Will great be insulting? He mm -hmm. says he can live with that. But when she tells him it's perfect, the perfect thing, she walks away. He smiles about the positive reinforcement uh, he's gotten from her. Cut to a few days later. We see the door open, and now Paul looks at the door with dread. However, in runs this adorable little piggy. Hops up on Paul's bed. Paul seems disgusted. However, I think this little pig's like cute as hell. Mm -hmm. And he walks in and says, oh, I thought it's time you two met. She says she named the pig Misery. Paul <laughs> is not stoked. I told you I was your number one fan and annoyed. He says, I'm starting to believe you. She yeah, says, and, I mean, I guess Paul doesn't. Yeah, okay, the pig is fine and it's cute and everything but he's got these legs he probably that are still oozing he probably doesn't want to get doesn't want to yeah pig from the, infection. Dirty, from the mm -hmm. dirty pig and you know he's not allowed to go anywhere she doesn't there's no tv in that room for him just bored no iphone no instagram no nothing this movie would be completely different if they had i i've iPhones, right? Or yeah, like, oh my God, you can't. He, it, it, it'd be across the room, and he'd just be like, reaching for it for the full movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says the farm used to be just cows and chickens, but once I got misery here, everything changed. And he loves the little pig. She tells Paul she's on page three hundred, and it's better than perfect. It's divine. <laughs> so get ready for this. She asks Paul, "What's the famous ceiling painting?" And stunned, he says, "The Sistine Chapel." And if you check out our Lucy episode, you get to hear my stupid ass come to the revelation that it is indeed not the 16th chapel, <laughs> but the Sistine Chapel. What other happened? What happened to the other 15 chapels? <laughs> I have in my notes uh, painted Sistine Chapel, and I just have not 16 chapels. The 16th chapel. Yeah. 
Tell me if you thought it was the 16th chapel on the socials at in madness pod in madness pod at gmail.com. I don't send know us, everything. I know very little about things. Send us a send us a voice uh bail and name the other 15 chapels. Yeah, please <laughs> tell me the locations of the other 15 chapels. <laughs> she goes, Yeah, that and misery's child are the only two divine things ever in this world. And she begins snorting like a pig at misery and at Paul and runs out of the room. Paul is disturbed. And what's scarier when she gets mad or when she gets that weird playful vibe too? mad? No, I could deal with the playful. I prefer the playful over the mad. Yeah. I thought the like the snorting as a pig and running around was pretty, pretty scary too. No, yeah, I'm, I well, depending if I'm laying there with my legs broken, no, but like as an onlooker, I'm like, I would rather this than the alternative. Mm-hmm. I yeah. like her when she's happier than when she's better than when she's unhappy. Well, I guess she's not going to hurt you when she's happy. Snorting so. at me like a pig. Snort all you want. Don't break my ankles. <laughs> Cut to Annie looking out a window saying, when my husband left me, I wasn't prepared. I thought I might go crazy. Paul understands. She says she dove into her work. Knife shifts can be lonely at the hospital. I read a lot. That's when I first discovered misery. She made me happy, made me forget my problems. She tells Paul he had something to do with that. And entirely over this whole situation he's stuck in, he says, yeah, well, because he is just over it. She says she reads the books over and over. There's only two chapters left of this new one. And once she finishes it, she'll know she'll turn right back to the first page and read it all over again. At this moment, Paul lifts up a little cup and goes, uh, I'm done. He was pissing in a cup the entire time they were having this conversation. Yeah, it's in the, it's in the, not a cup, but in like the, the jug, the, you would yeah, get the hospital, hospital jug. Yeah. yeah, the hospital, whatever the urine container. And then we get and this. Then- great shot from the back and she's holding the piss jug over him and paul's laying down looking at it and annie's talking to her moving her hand right over yeah. him and about he's marriage she's talking about marriage and yeah. she's winging this this thing around he just yeah. doesn't want the piss to end up all over him like the tomato soup did and she's like it'd take a special guy to make me walk down the aisle again and she goes it boils down to respect and on each syllable she's slamming mm-hmm. down the piss jug people don't respect <laughs> marriage anymore she says she loved to stay in chat but she's almost done reading his new book and she's gotta find out what happens mm. cut to nighttime beautiful night moon is full paul is sleeping we hear the door open and close he opens his eyes which my friends brings me to my of the alpaca's Alpaca's moment a full-blown momentum shift in this movie standing above him angrily half in the shadows looking ever so evil as annie saying you dirty bird how could you (laughs) dirty birdie (laughs) Uh uh-oh now paul's in trouble annie says she can't be dead misery chastain cannot be dead He tells her in 1871, women often died of childbirth. Her spirit is the important thing, and her spirit is still alive. And he grabs the bed and starts shaking it, screaming, I don't want her spirit. I want her. You murdered her. Mm. He says, no, I didn't. She screams, who did? He says, no one. She died. She just slipped away and screaming maniacally. And he says, slipped away. She didn't slip away. You did. She grabs a piece of furniture. 
uh, as a potted plant crashes to the floor. She's screaming, you did it. You murdered misery. She raises the furniture like she's going to smash him with it, but instead breaks it against the wall above his head. She and says, this, John, is where we get we really find out how sick she really is and how her connection to what is real in the world and what is in these fantasy books that he's writing are. And she's believes these characters are living and breathing human beings were at certain points. She probably knows they're not, but she's so enthralled with them and where they're going to go that they need to be in her life. Much like she's obsessed with him and he needed to be in her life as well. And this is, is a pivotal moment where he just realizes how deep he really is in this situation. She says she thought he was good, but he's not. He's just another lying, dirty birdie. And I don't think I should be around you for a while. She goes to leave and stops at the door and says, and don't even think about anybody coming for you. Your doctors, agent, family, I never call them. Nobody knows you're here. You better hope nothing happens to me because if I die, you die. Mm. Uh oh. She closes the door angrily, walks downstairs, drives away. Paul takes a shot and heads for the door. The dude is broken and his legs are destroyed. He has a nightmare of a time getting to the door. And when he finally does, it's locked. Mm hmm. Cut the buster on the phone with Miss Sindel telling her not to come there. They are doing everything they can to find Paul. FBI is on it. Paul hasn't used his credit card since he left the lodge. Cut to wacky Annie looking down at Paul saying, you poor dear thing. Why are you on the floor? It's all my fault. She helps him back into bed, but it is, he is in agonizing pain. She tells him she's got a big surprise for him, but he needs to listen to her first. Sometimes her thinking is muddy. It's why I couldn't remember all the things they were asking me on the witness stand in Denver. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. <laughs> but this time I thought clear. I asked God about you who said I delivered him unto you so that you may show him the way. And, all you know, sorry, go Sean. Go ahead. Go ahead. Early on in the, in the book, in the original novel, there's a lot of fading in and out on these drugs and him needing these drugs to feel better and and not be in so much pain and he starts to reflect on things from his childhood and some beach that they would go to with the tide coming in and out and the tide is sort of symbolizing his her insanity as well as his ability to sort of stay awake because he's just coming in and out of the drugs and that lasts a lot longer in the beginning than it than it does in in this piece too leading up to this point here so the drugs play a big role later on, but they, they play it throughout the whole novel as well. Annie walks in the room with a barbecue. She opens it up and there's his trusty bag along with a bottle of gas and some matches. She opens the bag, takes out the papers and puts them on the grill. She douses it in gas. She tells him to rid the world of this filth and hands him the match. He tells her there's hundreds of copies and publishers all over New York have it so you won't be stopping anything. But he refuses to burn it. She says, I know this is the only copy. When you were 24 and wrote your first book, you didn't make a copy because you didn't think anyone would take it seriously. But they did. And since then, you've never made any copies because you're superstitious. That's why you always come back to the Silver Creek Lodge. You told that story to Merv Griffin 11 years ago. Oof. And, and when we see part of this manuscript here, right, as they're dousing it with the stuff and you're going to get to it, this is, if you were to pause it and read it, it's actually... A, 
1989 movie line magazine review of the film say anything that's what's that's what's on the paper and this barbecue which pays a part later on in this film as well plays a, a part in the in the novel as well too she hands him the match he tells her he won't publish it. He'll keep it for himself. No one will ever know it existed. She says, as long as it exists, his mind will never be free. He tells him to light the match. She starts pouring the gas on him, telling him this is what God wants. She's trying to help him. Please help me help you. He lights the match and tosses it on the grill. Lighting his work on fire, she comes in with a bucket of water and douses the fire, leaving the scorched globule of his book on the grill, which she mm. calls an oogie mess. And, and 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 this is an addition for the film. In the book, they added this that there'd be one copy of the book, and that she knew that's how he writes. Uh, and they did that so there'd be adds more attention to it because we believe it to be the only copy in, in the original novel it's not and we i'll fill you in later on what kind of happens to it but um that is just another way they were adding even more attention to it because he poured his heart and soul into this up in colorado and now he's gotta burn it uh, outside a helicopter is approaching Paul sits up in bed and he stops in her tracks. It's Buster in the chopper, scoping out houses, looking for Paul's car. He finds nothing. And he takes the matches from Paul and gives him in meds and leaves. Paul watches his scorched work stroll out the door. He takes a long, hard look at the meds and sticks them in between the mattress. Mm. And Andy. Sean, the, the, uh, I forgot to tell you this, but on the, when they're burning the book and the pieces of paper are going up, there was actually people, um working on the film that had some pieces of paper on fishing strings and they were sort of pulling them up on set to kind of get them to to waft some of it's natural and some of it is just them uh filling it in and and rob reiner mentions it on the uh, on the director's commentary because at that point he's looking at it and he's like thinking to himself like what a crazy job i have they have these guys with like fishing poles with this pieces of paper on fire pulling them up in the air but uh pretty cool that's the fun part of the job. Yeah, absolutely. We cut to Annie Lane in bed watching the dating game, eating Cheetos, drinking a two liter of Coca-Cola classic. She's having a great time with her stuffed animal piglet. Paul's in the other room eating. He uses a fork to cut a hole in the mattress and jams more meds into the hole in the mattress. We cut to Annie. She's got Paul a wheelchair to get him out of bed and an electric razor to shave himself. She says, uh, get ready for the big day, sit tight, and she'll set everything up. He's like, set what up? The big surprise, your new studio. And she walks in uh, with a desk. Writers need a place to work. Paul is confused. She says, now that you got rid of that nasty book, you can go back to doing what you're great at. And marches in with a big-ass typewriter, telling him <laughs> he's going to write a new novel, Misery's Return. Paul is not happy. And he knows uh, he didn't mean to kill her. And now he'll make it right. It'll be a book in my honor for saving your life and nursing you back to health. You're going to make me the envy of the whole world. <laughs> she wheels him to the desk and leaves, and Paul notices a hairpin on the floor. He can't get it. Annie, Lee, uh, Annie walks back in with paper and says she got the typewriter for cheap because it's missing the letter N. He tries to flatter her, telling there's two N's in my favorite nurse's name, Annie. Mm. She asks if she did good. He tells her she did great. However, the paper she got smudges. He asked her to go to town and get different paper. Annie is confused, but mine cost the most. Aw, Annie, that broke my heart. 
He shows her how it smudges and tells her he'd like her involved in all aspects of the book and annoyed. <laughs> this is very yeah. much me. Thank you very much for thinking of me. Anything else you would like me to pick up from town? Any other requirements? A tiny tape recorder? A handmade set of writing slippers? I identify with a, a big part of it. <laughs> you know, this this whole smudge thing, Sean, this, it, of course it's going to smudge because it just came out of the typewriter. It's a tactic. But- it's a I think any yeah he's out he's outsmarting her a, a little bit there and you know she you mentioned her sitting in bed with the Cheetos and the Coca Cola that's one aspect of it, the book that's way more horrific she drinks a lot of Pepsi in the book and I find that really offensive and horrific <laughs> so instead of Coca Cola so she's meaner in the book because she's always offering him these Pepsi she has Pepsis as well and leaves them with some Pepsis at one point so you know, that's where I stand I, on that when picture. I can't get Coca Cola I'll have myself a Pepsi if that you yeah. know where you're asking a restaurant I have a Coke oh, we got Pepsi <sighs> whatever yeah I feel like most arenas and like stadiums it's it's Pepsi and if you get it, if you go to a place that has coca-cola you're like oh wow because you're just kind of used to to getting the pepsi but you know they're it's not nice it's a little abusive to give us pepsi in place of coke but this is where we get all the hate mail about it but i think that's i really in stephen king i'm a pepsi fan oh yeah well not over coke but like in place of coke sure yeah i don't mind it that much yeah i mean i'll drink it if it's there i'm an orange fanta guy yeah, I mean, if I get if I ever come over to your house and there's Pepsi, I'll drink. I'll drink it, Sean. I won't pour it into the plant next to me. I'll drink it. Don't worry about it. I don't have Pepsi or plants. Uh. <laughs> she asks if he needs anything else. He says, "Just the paper will be fine." She says, "Are you sure? I could bring the whole store back for you." He asks, "What's the matter?" And she freaks the hell out. I go out of my way for you. I try and make you happy. I feed you. I clean you. I dress you. And what thanks do I get? Oh, you got the wrong paper, Annie. I can't write on this, Annie. I'll get your paper, but you just better start showing me some appreciation, Mister Man. Mm. She takes a large box of papers and throws it down on his legs, leaving him in pain as she walks out of the room. She leaves. Paul goes for the hairpin. He uses to pick the lock. He opens the door and heads out of the room. He heads to the front door, but it's locked. He goes to the living room and finds a phone. He tries to make a call and picks up the phone, and the guts are torn out of it. He strolls around the house and almost knocks over a little glass penguin, but catches it before it hits the floor and puts it back. Yeah, it's not glass, though, Sean. That's like a little, like uh, like a figurine, like a ceramic. Yeah, well, whatever it is, it'll ceramic. break if it hits the floor. Yeah, and in the book, it's uh, he's sitting on a piece of ice or something like that and they describe it a little differently that's that then that's in there but but this is very this feels very hitchcocky in here where all of this tension and he's you know able to get a crawling around the house so to speak dragging himself around the house and then got to worry about getting back in time and uh, there's a lot of doorknobs shots of this glass old school glass doorknob that happened and that's all intentional to just build that intensity um and the timing of this because i mean i don't know how far town is but um she's gone for a little while each of these trips and if he wasn't so isolated he would could have already probably dragged himself somewhere to a window and yelled out and somebody would have heard him if even if he breaks a window and screams nobody's Nobody's going to hear him where they are. There's nobody near him. It's just the neighbors that she hates. And they probably would just ignore those screams anyway. 
Up oh, there goes Annie screaming out the window again. <laughs> we see pictures of who I guess is her ex-husband around the house, a photo book that says Memory Lane. And then Paul sees it, the misery shrine, all of his books on the table, and right there in the middle, a framed signed photo of him to Annie. He kicks open another door, and it's a closet where she stores the medicine. He takes a few pills and puts them in his pants. We see Annie racing back to the house. He kicks open another door, and in the kitchen, sees another door. He, can, he can't fit the wheelchair through the door, so he painfully puts his legs down and crawls across the floor of the door, but it's also locked. Paul is defeated. And then and that, hear- and that medicine part where she's got all the meds that she picked up in her time as being a nurse and they go into it a lot in the book where he's trying to move stuff around so it still looks like he did like he takes a lot but he doesn't want it to look like he took a lot um and i was cracking up because it reminded me when i was younger it was like there would be that big bowl of halloween candy or there's some kind of candy and like you would eat too much of it but then you try to like fluff up the bowl a little bit to make it look like look like you didn't eat as many candies right like that's, yeah that's what i felt like with these meds he, he definitely you know fluffed up st- the bowl yeah she's got a stockpile of of all kinds of um drugs and even in the book he he sort of gets some infection at one point and she gives him penicillin so she just has everything she needs there she pulls up and then we hear uh she we hear her pull up and paul begins rushing as fast as he can back to the chair he pulls himself into it and rushes back to his room as annie's walking up to the front door paul is covering his tracks closing all the open doors as annie's just like clumsily dropping things on the floor as she's walking up which immediately reminded me of a pretty funny Simpsons scene uh, towards the end ass end of season 9 where Apu's supposed to get a prearranged marriage and his mom shows up and he's freaking out trying to think of an idea to get out of it and for no reason at all his mom just like falls on the floor and he's like oh that buys me a couple of seconds and that's essentially <laughs> Annie dropping all the books leading up to the door uh, and he gets in and miraculously Paul makes it back to his room and he walks in. Paul looks like a wreck. She says, you're dripping with perspiration. What have you been doing? He says, you know damn well what I've been doing. Suffering. I need my pills. Mm. He begs her to stop his pain. And she says, it breaks my heart to see you like this. She brings him pills, which it looks like he takes, but sort of stuffs inside of his jaw. She tells him the reason she's not more popular is because of her temper. He says, who doesn't need to let off a little steam every once in a while? She puts him back in bed, hands him a pencil and notepad in case he has any ideas. Think of me as your inspiration. (laughs) She says, I have faith in you, darling. Catch this. She blows him a big kiss, which he pretends to catch. She closes the door. He spets out the pills and he pretended to take and shoves them into his mattress. Mm, He's got a plan. He's starting to. There's nothing wrong with his mind. His legs are messed up, but he's he's trying to formulate something here to get to get out of this place. And he's now realizing that he has to play along with her because that's not the reaction anyone is going to have when she's doing all this and then blows him the kiss and all of that. But he's like, oh, I'll pretend I'm grabbing it and just make sure it, it you know, it's OK. It's Stockholm syndrome, Sean. Stockholm syndrome. That's what it is. See, I knew it was one of them syndromes. I knew no phone in my hand, kitties. I just popped into my head when I said it. But that'd be sympathizing kind of with the captors. And and yep, there you go. Sean, Sean picked Munchausen syndrome. But we, maybe we should do Baron Munchausen. You ever see that movie? 
Sean Facts. Sean Facts. Oh my God, there it is. We haven't had one in a while. I feel like you've been super prepared for for all of this stuff, but I, I love it. But um, this is safe to say Paul's in the most warped relationship of his entire life. I don't know that Annie is, but he definitely is. And my friends, you'll find out more about Paul Sheldon's plan on our next episode for the thrilling conclusion of Misery, episode 25, part two in Madness Pod. Uh, I love this episode so far. Uh, we have done, like you said previously, two back-to-back alien movies. We took a hard left into covering the world of misery. I had my milking of the alpacas moment. I think yours will be coming up in part two, probably. Yes. Um, but I definitely feel like the first one sets the tone of like, oh, the momentum shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, definitely. But um, let us know what you thought of part one of episode 25 misery did you read the book did you see the movie we want to hear all about it at in madness pod twitter instagram facebook threads hit us in the mail sack in madness pod at gmail.com let us know uh what you thought about the movie let us know what you thought about the book or any of our previous movies that we have covered subscribe to the youtube smash the five star review give us the likes where the comments whatever subscribe to the in madness spotify playlist which is going to feature a ton of new music which song are we adding that we said earlier whatever i'll, I'll go back and find it but we're Smooth adding criminal movie. by uh the, it was a cover <laughs> alien and the alien farm, yeah. cover of the michael jackson song smooth criminal so you can just sing along while you you know annie are you okay are you okay annie over and over again tell your friends about the podcast spread the madness worldwide and we will see you next week for episode 25 part two misery in madness pod